Welcome to Geological's mini-series dedicated to sports and orthopedic acupuncture. For the next few days, I'll be bringing you several podcasts a day from the Sports Acupuncture Alliance's conference in San Jose, California. In addition to interviews and discussions with speakers of the conference, you'll also be hearing from participants and you'll have a special front row seat at a roundtable conversation around the issues of running a sports medicine practice. The Sports Acupuncture Alliance was created to promote the study and practice of sports and orthopedic acupuncture. I'm delighted that they were willing to partner with Geological to bring you this mini-series so that those of you who were not able to attend the conference could learn from the speakers as well as the participants and to get a taste of what it's like to be here at this special event. Please enjoy these discussions and take what you learn here and use it in your clinic. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. 
I love how technology can help to automate my office, and I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one month grace period on your new Jane account. Anthony Vondermal, welcome to Geological. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Um, yeah, this has really been fun here at the Sports Acupuncture Alliances Conference. And I'm so delighted to have an opportunity to speak with with the different speakers and delighted that we could find a little bit of time here to uh, have this conversation. I'd like to start with how you found your way into doing orthopedic and sports acupuncture. Is this a long-term interest of yours or was there some sort of inciting incident? What uh, what set you down this path? Sure, that's a good question. Um, my own injuries. Uh, when I was 24, I had uh, a bad bike accident that left me with a lot of neck pain and a concussion. And then later that same year, a soccer injury where I tore up the muscles on the inside of my leg, affected my gait and my spine. And conventional physical therapy didn't really seemed to help me very much. And what worked best actually was, was Taiji. And that really piqued my interest uh, in, and I was living in San Francisco at the time. So it was very easy to branch out from there into acupuncture and Chinese herbs and Chinese medicine generally. And so I, I was kind of on the fence. I, I was interested in physical therapy, even though it hadn't worked well for me personally, but when I really had to make a decision, wanted to make a decision about going into a career that would last for me, Chinese medicine seemed like a much bigger field with a much broader scope and had worked better for me. So that was the logical choice for me. But I always maintained an interest and a focus on orthopedics and sports injuries and neuromuscular skeletal pain because that's how I found my way to it in the first place. Yeah. And it, and it sounds like you had a, a long-term interest just in how the body works. I mean, you sound like an athlete. <laughs> Um, I, I want to be athlete. Let's put it that way, <laughs> or I would I would have been athlete. Um, but I enjoy using my physical body, sure. And uh, and I've been more of a, a a dabbler in everything from rock climbing and backpacking to racquetball, and and uh, not great at anything, but enjoy all of it. Surfing, you know, what used to be called rollerblading, inline skating. So that's, I think that's, that's a lot of how I've learned is from trying out different activities, Tai Chi, Bagua, martial arts, and finding out and feeling what do they do to my body and do they help? Do they hurt? Is yoga helpful? Is Pilates harmful, et cetera? Just experimenting and learning from my own injuries. And really, I feel like that's the best way of all to learn. Yeah. Well, it also sounds, you know, some of us are very visual, some are auditory, and some are really, some of us are really mm-hmm. kinesthetic. 
and it it sounds to me like you might be one of these kinesthetic characters. You kind of make sense of the world uh, through your body. Is that would that be an accurate way of? Yeah, certainly it does make sense. And I'm not much of a learner. For, uh, herbs have never really done that much for me, which is a puzzle and a frustration to some of my colleagues. But I can't really feel their effects in my own body very much, and that makes me very unsure and hesitant when prescribing them to patients and physical modalities exactly the opposite i feel acupuncture's effects uh, i like how it feels gua sha cupping twina exercise therapy fascinate me because i feel their effects in my body and and i want to share that with other people that's great you know to be able to have a way of sensing and knowing what you're sensing and making you know being able to see what works what doesn't being able to feel it on the inside. I, I suspect that's, well, I, I know it's important, um, you know, in my practice to, you know, have, have a, a, to be able to feel it yourself so that you got a sense of what the patient yes, is. Yes. And it, it makes it much easier for me to look the patient in the eye and say to them, honestly, I have a sense of what's going on for you. I, and I, I've, been there myself where I feel that. I know what it feels like to have a needle go into that area. I know what it feels like to have a pain in that joint. And that uh, increases trust on the part of the patient and, and empathy, I think is very helpful for the therapeutic alliance, if you will, and, and improves outcomes. Mm. Yeah. From your experience, how would you say orthopedic acupuncture differs from, I'm just going to say, regular what we learn in school acupuncture? Oh, that's a good question, too. I don't know that it does. I, mean, I think there's, my own sense is, now I have not been to China. I have not studied in China. I'll be upfront about that. But I wonder whether what we get taught in schools in America is really an accurate, complete representation of acupuncture and Chinese medicine, the way it's been practiced historically in China. I think there's a lot of indications that it's not, that we get kind of a, a distilled Reader's Digest, compressed and distorted version, and then we twist it further because of our own inevitable cultural lenses and biases in the West. Um, but then I look at videos. I mean, YouTube is now a great resource, and I see acupuncturists in the Far East using enormous needles, going deeply into the body in large numbers in ways that would that. And then I see the comments on Facebook from Western practitioners are horrified, shocked, wringing their hands. It looks like surgery. It looks like barbaric, etc. But but that's Eastern medicine. It's Eastern medicine is diverse. Uh, just as Western medicine is diverse, and we've got everything from the subtleties of homeopathy to uh, radical orthopedic surgery, it's all Western medicine. Same thing in the East. So I have good reason to believe, based on historical sources from teachers that I've studied with who have spent a lot of time in China, that some of the kinds of kneeling techniques that are now taught in the West as orthopedic acupuncture also have roots or parallels in the Far East. Well, I know I've spent a little time in Asia and some time in acupuncture clinics, and I know that what I saw, sometimes it was very similar to what we do, um, and sometimes it was really different, and my basic takeaway was, I don't think I can get away with that in the United States. <laughs> yes. So there is that. Yeah. Yes. So it sounds like you're doing a lot more deep needling. And, and maybe with more stimulation? Is that a correct characterization? 
I think that's I think that's uh, compared to the way acupuncture is generally taught in most schools in the West. I'd say yes, but I don't. But like I say, I don't know that it's actually any different from how acupuncturists in the Far East would treat orthopedic injuries. And and again, you've got we've got everything from the subtle off body needling of Japanese practitioners to the the deep needling with needles the size of you know knitting needles or even I've seen things that look like a golf club going into somebody's back from a Korean practitioner, you know, right along the spine. And so I think that's, I'm not sure I really answered your question though. I think your question was, how is what acupuncture orthopedics different from what's taught in school? I, I can't speak generally to acupuncture orthopedics, but I can, I can talk a little bit about what I do and what I've learned to learn to do from teachers. So yes, that's exactly what we're looking for. It is integrative. I do use the concepts and paradigms of Chinese medicine, particularly for orthopedics, the concept of longitudinal tracts or, or chains or continuities of myofascial tissues that we translate as the sinew meridians, the, the jing jin, the sinew meridians, or the uh, myofascial or tendinomuscular meridians. Uh, it was a very extremely useful concept, which Western medicine is now, Western physical therapy is kind of rediscovering through variously called anatomy trains or kinematic chains that is different from the way orthopedics was practiced in the West, you know, 30, 40 years ago, where it was very kind of cross-sectional, you know, horizontal. We're just going to look at the elbow joint. We're going to look at the knee joint and not how they're part of a continuity from the foot to the low back to from the uh, hand to the shoulder. So that longitudinal meridian, if you will, approach is, is very useful and I use it all the time, but I've also learned a tremendous amount from the, the, the Western orthopedic and osteopathic ways of looking at the body. And particularly my topic that I'm, that I think is less commonly taught in the West is needling into joints and ligaments and joint capsules and intra-articular structures. And I also do trigger point needling, myofascial needling. I use distal needling, I use ear, I use scalp. I'm, I've never, I should say, I'm, I've never found one particular approach that works best for everyone all the time. Oh man, that, you know, that is the beauty in the frustration of the medicine we practice <laughs> and of every medical modality i mean if you know if you if you hear a surgeon who's or a, a doctor say this is the one best treatment for everyone all the time run and yes. you know run and, and hang on to your wallet um, because that's not how human beings are put together uh, diversity and uniqueness is the norm and anatomy books are composite you know, sort of middle of the bell curve approximations, but every human being, every body is a scrapbook and a, of, of their life story. And we have anatomic variations, congenital variations, acquired variations. And it's, it's impossible for any one approach to work best for all people all the time. Right. So you mentioned tendinomuscular meridians and... I've heard other people that do orthopedic and sports acupuncture talk about these quite a bit. And, and the people that I know that do the trauma medicine, the hit medicine, all that, these seem to be really important meridians to pay attention to. Yes, I would agree. And yeah. And, and so I'm wondering how you like to work with them. I mean, some people like to bleed them. My wife is crazy about using gua sha. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, I've, I've watched her do amazing things with gua sha, mm -hmm. you know, like like a jelly jar and, you know, some oil. And it's it's incredible. 
So I'm curious to know how you like to work with the tendinomuscular meridians. And, and, if, and like you said, th these days, Western medicine is, is looking at these as anatomy trains and this sort of thing. So I'd like to get your take on these things. So I, I think there's really two questions there. And, and one is, you know, what uh, is the, the sort of um, where do the, the Jingjin tell us to look in the body to find sources of pain or disability and they tell us to look longitudinally you know along the 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 distributions if you will and then the second question which i'll get to in a moment is what clinical techniques do we apply um, but the first question is a very important question um, and what is what i have seen what I went through myself as an acupuncturist and what I've seen happen in the profession is that people learn the primary meridians. We, we Westerners learn the primary meridians in school, focus exclusively on that. It's mistaught, in my opinion, as a sort of a pipe system with a circulating goo that we manipulate through putting needles into, into, <laughs> into two-dimensional points on the surface and how that actually manipulates the, the goo that's flowing through the pipes is kind of mysterious. But I'm sorry. I'm I'm uh, I'm being a little bit. Um, what's the word? Snarky or something? I love it. We we sometimes have a very unsatisfying way to the Western mind to describe what we do. Yeah. So we often think about channels and goo. I mean, we've got a fancy name. We call it chi. Uh -huh. But yeah, yeah, pipes and goo. I'm I'm with you, my friend. I think there's a lot of translational questions and linguistic questions that is probably outside of the scope of what we want to spend a lot of time on. But so I just throw it out as a question as to and, and you know, God knows on Facebook, people get into huge battles with each other over correct translations of words like chi. And let's just acknowledge there isn't a way to translate it correctly. Chinese and English are some things that just can't be expressed uh, in one language the way they can in another language. So rather than, than argue over a correct translation of chi, what I find most useful, again, is the, the concept of spatial organization and where to look in the body to find potential sources of pain and disability and the longitudinal orientation of the meridians and the way that they're, that this, um, that, ancient classical Chinese medicine tells us to look at, at essentially six of them, not 12, the Yang Ming, the Tai Yang, and the Xiaoyang, et cetera, as, and also the depth is very important. And that's often, we think of the depths in terms of penetration of uh, external evils, but they also tell us about the depths, the fascia, the depths of muscle, the depths of, of structures. And those three Yang meridians are all superficial, the Yang Ming on the front, Xiaoyang on the side, Tai Yang on the back, um, and then when we go to the yin meridians, they're all internal and central with the deepest of them, the Shao yin meridian being really an axial or central meridian, you know, right up the, the spine, but also kind of through the center of the limbs. And this is all verifiable in, an, in a cadaver lab. You can go into the anatomy lab and look at how these muscles, tendons, uh, bones, and joints connect to each other along these longitudinal tracks. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking of the six layers, the Liu Jing, as being literally deeper or more superficial in the body, not as a concept, but as an actuality. As an actuality. And, and I think that's yeah. one of the, um, at, at, at the bottom of it, I think we have this Neoplatonic split in the West between, you know, mind and body or spirit and matter that we unconsciously bring into our 
are mistranslations of Chinese medicine that has no such divisions. So we get that there's these, you know, sort of theoretical meridians and uh, invisible energies that are somehow separate from physical reality. That's a, that is a, a Neoplatonic and also Judeo-Christian view of the world. The Chinese view is, it's all integrated. It's all interpenetratable, um, which I think is actually much closer to modern quantum physics. And having gone through our Neoplatonic and Judeo-Christian and Newtonian phases in the West, our flagship science of, of physics is actually coming full circle to a, a much more integrated understanding of reality mm -hmm. that matches the original Chinese vision much better. So yes, absolutely. The, the, the six, the six divisions or six meridians, however you want to translate it, are descriptions of tangible, physically verifiable structures that you can put your hands on and you can also observe how they transmit forces along longitudinal pathways to make the body move or to resist outside forces to provide stability. Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at Anne Cecil Sturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. So there's a whole structural component to these six channels. Absolutely. I think there is. And certainly, you know, translators, uh, there's not that many people who really look at and translate in comparison to the translators of classics of internal medicine. I'm only aware of one book, David Leggy's, that really focuses on specifically on the Jing Jin. Australian practitioner and translator uh, came out with a book a few years ago. I believe the title is the Jing Jin, and his last name is spelled L E double G E. For those of you who want to look it up, Donald Kendall and his work, The Tao of Chinese Medicine, has a chapter devoted to the to the uh, Jing Jin. And what both of them agree is that if you you look at the the Neijing's description of the Nei, of the Jing Jin, it's very it's very brief. In comparison to the descriptions of the Jing Luo, the primary meridians, it's, it seems very almost, but it's very clear that they're describing specific muscles. Now, it's hard to translate some of them and figure out exactly what they mean. So Donald Kendall's schema is different from Leggy's, which is different from mine. We assign different muscles to different meridians some of the time, maybe 20 or 30% of the time we're at odds with each other. 
and we can go into that more detail if you want. But what we all agree upon is that there, we're actually describing things like the biceps, the, the triceps, the hamstrings, the, what we call the hamstrings in the West. And I don't remember the Chinese term, but you know, it might be the fish belly. But we have our Achilles tendon. You have to know who Achilles was in order to understand that and the Greek mythology and stuff. So the, the poetic language of Chinese, classical Chinese leaves open a lot of room for misinterpretation, but, but they're very clearly describing physical verifiable structures, not just theoretical. Yeah. You just mentioned that you and Leggy and um, Donald uh, Kindle are 20 to 30% at odds with each other on your ideas. You know, 20 to 30% at odds means you're agreeing 70 to 80% of the time. Yeah, something like that. That's pretty interesting. So for, for the folks that are listening here to our conversation, let's go a little bit into how you access these uh, Jingjin and, and work with them. And, and that in using them, you, you were talking about this longitudinal look, and, and you, I love this phrase, spatial organization. Tell us a bit about how you use spatial organization to understand what someone's problem might be and then what you would do about it. Yeah, so to complete the, or to go a little more into the, how I would use that spatial organization and then what I would do is, for example, I had a patient uh, referred to me recently for, uh, she's an athlete, a runner, had a medial foot arch pain. So it was a referral from a physician and that's the diagnosis was just simply, you know, I can't remember what the code was, but something about medial foot arch pain. So the concept of the Jing Jin was very useful for me in not only finding locally what was the problem in her medial foot arch, her first metatarsal uh, was very loose and uh, the ligaments that connected to the midfoot bones were stretched out. So she was getting a whole lot of play every time she landed on her forefoot during her, uh, or, you know, pushed off from her forefoot during her running. I didn't see whether she was a, uh, a heel runner or a toe runner, but uh, either way, that joint was loose and unstable. But then I have to ask myself, why? What's going on? How did that happen? She didn't have any history of traumatic injury. What the Jing Jin tell me to do is to look further along that chain. In her case, it was at almost at the distal end of the chain. So I want to look at her ankle joint. I want to look at her knee joint. I want to go all the way up to her hip joint and her, her gluteal musculature. And along the way, I found her knee joint was stable, no problems. But her ankle joint was similarly loose and her hip joint had uh, a tendency to sublux anteriorly and her external rotators were tight to, you know, I don't, you know, it's chicken and egg, doesn't really matter to me which came first, but she had an overall pattern of rotating her leg externally, uh, her hip joint subluxing anteriorly and her, her medial ankle joint ligaments, the deltoid ligament also being loose and stretched out. So treating all the way along that pathway in general is going to, in, in my experience, work a whole lot better than just simply focusing on the, the foot itself by you no know, needling locally, or for that matter, if you're a fan of distal techniques and you go, oh, medial foot arch, well, I'm going to use, you know, a balance method or master dong points or something and look on the opposite hand and treat, you know, treat the uh, high in meridian of the foot. I'm going to go to the tie in meridian on the hand. Well, that works too to provide short-term pain relief, but to provide a structural change that alters her gait biomechanics 
I need to look along the biomechanical pathway. And that's very well described by the Jing Jin. So that's one example. Mm -hmm. What kind of tests do you use to assess? You were just talking about ankle was loose, knee was fine, anterior sublocation of the hip joint. How do you, what kind of tests do you use to get this information? Sure, that's a good question. Um, well, the, in that particular example I gave you, I was talking just about joints along the pathway. So what I use is what I learned from uh, physical therapists and actually from another acupuncturist, Alon Marcus, uh, who is uh, now retired, but was you know an encyclopedia of acupuncture orthopedics and orthopedics generally, called joint plate testing, where you essentially, and that's what I'm going to be teaching a lot this weekend, is grasping one bone firmly with a hand and then grasping the other bone or other structure on the other end of that joint and moving it through both anatomical planes, the way the joint is supposed to move, but also sometimes testing it through non-anatomical directions. For example, the foot is not supposed to slide forward on your tibia and fibula. That's a non-anatomical motion. That can happen, however, it's not it's not voluntary under our control, but if the ankle joint gets sprained, stretching out the anterior talofibular ligament that's supposed to hold the foot, you know, on the, the tibia, fibula, actually this particular ligament is goes from the talus to the fibula. If that ligament gets stretched out, suddenly the whole foot can slide, you know, maybe only a you know an eighth of an inch, a few millimeters forward on the fibula, but that's enough to, to disrupt biomechanics, maybe not walking across the room, but you go for a 10K run, that's gonna affect how muscles are used up and down the example of like, you know, you bang your wheel into a curb, parking it, you know, in a hurry, and then you drive across town, no big deal, but you take that same car and you drive it to Maine from California, by the time you cross the country, that little imbalance in the wheel alignment is gonna result in that wheel wearing unevenly and the tire wearing out and the CV joint getting loose and, you know, damaged, etc. So that's what happens to these seemingly small trivial injuries or the little bit of extra joint play, then all the muscles that cross that joint are now working overtime and don't get to rest in their normal, you know, contraction relaxation cycles because they're having to make up for the, the laxity of the joint. And then they develop tendonitis and myofascial pain and strains and inflammation and degeneration and wear out. So checking the joints uh, using that joint play testing technique is extremely important. It's feeling what's the integrity of the ligaments. Is there too much play? Is there, what's the end feel? Is it, is it a normal end feel, which is kind of a firm elastic rebound, uh, like it's being held in place by a very thick taut rubber band in general? Or is it loose and mushy, like it's being held in place by stretched out silly putty or old chewing gum, or maybe nothing at all? Maybe the ligament snapped clean through, and you have kind of an empty end feel. That's a that's you know not a good situation. But I also use manual muscle testing, um, which is helpful for testing the you know strength and function of the. It's actually called it's called manual muscle testing. It's really manual strength testing because the the muscle has to have an intact nerve supply in order to contract. So when we're testing strength, we're simultaneously testing muscle strength and nerve supply. I'll use inspection. I watch how this patient walks, you know, is this her leg, you know, is right leg same as the left leg or right leg? No, her right leg is rotated a little externally during her gait. So all of these, you know, pieces of information, they're just clues to put together to figure out where do I need to needle? 
where do I need to do gua sha? Where do I need to do cupping? What exercises do I need to prescribe or unprescribe for her? We've mentioned gua sha a couple times in this conversation. Um, and I recently did an interview with uh, a couple of women who use gua sha a lot in their practice. In fact, after doing that interview, I've started using gua sha in my clinic a lot more with, frankly, stunning results. I, I'm shocked at the amount of time that I practice acupuncture <laughs> and not use gua sha. Yes. I had a sim- I had a similar uh, <laughs> I had a similar conversion experience myself about you know, a number of years ago. <laughs> what I'd like to hear that experience. What what happened? Mm-hmm. And then I want to hear about how you're using gua sha to help your patients. Sure. Yeah, gua sha is an extremely useful and, and I think underused modality in the West. But what I, I find in general it's most useful for is breaking up adhesions and restrictions in muscles that have suffered a strain that has not healed completely. And also some structures like the IT band or thoracolumbar fascia that, that uh, you know, if they get too tight or damaged and stuff will develop. Basically what is scar tissue, not keloid scars that you see on the surface of the skin, but uh, areas where the tissue organization is disrupted and has grown back in a disorganized fashion instead of the nice, neat, parallel bands of fibers uh, that we're born with that, where everything is elastic and has recoil and slides past each other smoothly. So gua sha is very useful at breaking up those tangles of collagen and elastin fibers and what we might call uh, phlegm and blood stasis knotted together, glycoproteins that are kind of gumming up the works and preventing a muscle from contracting normally. Uh, and it, it radically increases blood flow through the area. And of course, one of the great insights early on of, or, you know, from the beginning of uh, Chinese medicine is that blood is essential for tissue healing and that increasing perfusion through an area brings in oxygen and nutrients, carries away waste products. So gua sha is also very useful for that. So that's mostly what I use it on is, uh, and I also like it because you can cover very large areas very quickly and very safely. It can be uncomfortable to the patient. If I overdo it, sure, it can cause a bruise. Uh, only once have I broken skin accidentally, and that was on myself <laughs> because I like how it feels so much, you know, put something on Netflix and sit there and gouache out my own IT band and then look down. I was like, oops, <laughs> kind of overdid it there. Yeah, but I don't do that with patients. But it's very safe. And for example, you know, the, the, the large muscles of the back that would take forever to find all the trigger points and needle them with, you know, palpation of osher points and, you know, trigger point release techniques and so on. I could just get it all in a few minutes with a gua sha spoon and do a better job, quite frankly. Now that's not true of all areas. I mean, again, as I was saying earlier, I, I, you know, I feel the same way when I, go backpacking or, you know, for any other activity, it's really important to have the right gear and the right tools to deal with the specific problem of the patient before you. And even in areas like generally I find the quadriceps work is great for great territory for gua sha, large muscles that you can really dig into and cover a lot of area. But for some people, it's just too painful or it just doesn't work as well. So they're like, okay, well, let's get the cups and put them on and have them, you know, flex and extend their knee with the cups on their quad. Oh, that worked better for them. Oh, you know, I'm going to, that person has one specific trigger point that's really hanging everything up and just isn't going away with gua sha. I'm going to dig in there with a needle and, and get that muscle to twitch until that trigger point releases. This person, I can't find really anything physically verifiable. They're a good candidate for distal acupuncture and scalp and ear acupuncture. I'm, uh, 
I'm thinking about my shop teacher in the eighth grade. <laughs> He'd always say, right tool for the right job, boys. <laughs> you got it. Yep. Yeah. And I find, <laughs> I, I find that myself all the time. Yeah. What kind of cups do you like to use? I used the vacuum pump cups for a couple of reasons. When I was an intern at school, I had a glass cup pop off a patient full of blood, fall on the floor and shatter. When doing fire cupping, I, last time I fire cupped, I, uh, a piece of burning cotton ball fell off the cotton ball in the hemostat onto some other cotton balls that were there to catch blood. Table paper went up in a blaze. It was nearly a career-ending disaster. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I am done with fire cupping. I do not like. You know, sure. You know, you can be. You can get it right ninety-nine point nine nine percent of the time. All it takes is one accident, and and you're done. So, vacuum pump cups don't have that problem. And it's easy to cover a large area very fast. I can, I can put a whole row of cups up the paraspinals on either side of a patient's body, uh, on either side of a patient's spine in, you know, in a minute. And I can also calibrate the degree of suction much more precisely to their tolerance. I can pump it up a lot stronger than it's generally possible to do with 70% uh, isopropyl rubbing alcohol. And here's the real kicker is that the patient can then move their own body with the cups in place and if the cups pop off, no big deal. I just put them back on. But that's a, that's mm -hmm. a technique that I actually learned from my physical therapist who learned it from an acupuncture physical therapist combination. They call it myofascial decompression technique. I call it active suction cupping. I don't think there's anything different how I do it than what, what they do, but it's essentially... It's a, the genius of it is that by getting the patient to actively engage their own muscles with the cups there, overriding the sensation that they normally have that tells them not to use that muscle. Now we're not talking about a cube. If a muscle is torn or, you know, the first 72 hours, no, this is way too, you know, this too disruptive a technique. I'm talking about where the patient is getting basically false information from their nervous system telling him not to use a muscle that actually needs to be used, needs to be stretched out, needs to be worked, needs to have blood pumped through it in order to recover. And that's where the cups, this active cupping technique is very useful. I can put the cups on there. The patient can flex and extend their spine, rotate, twist their spine around, and, and it increases this, both the, the, uh, the stretch effect and the blood flow and breaks the pain inhibition and fear and, and avoidance inhibition of using those muscles. The patient go, oh, I can actually move. I can actually do this. You pop the cups off, almost invariably, they feel much better, like right away. And, you know, the first time a physical therapist did it to me, I had 20 years of back pain ever since the soccer injury I mentioned earlier that had never really responded well to acupuncture, to anything else. You know, Gua Sha gave me some temporary relief. This, like six sessions of this, is basically gone. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. 
These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Yeah. So with this active cupping, it's it's not like a distal thing. You're putting the cups right on the area that's having trouble. And while those cups are on, you're having them move and stretch and rotate and and, and use mm-hmm. that muscle. Is is part of what's happening here that you've got the suction, you're decompressing the tissue, which is, you know, always helpful. But at the same time you're you're adding movement in does this give does this like supercharge the ability to break up adhesions and 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 break up blood stasis? Y- yes, it does. I, I believe so. Now, there's this. A, it's a, an analog, an analogous technique is something that's you know very popular in the physical therapy world right now and massage therapy world. Active release technique, you know, where you fix a trigger point with your thumb or you know your elbows, and then you have the patient contract and relax the muscle while you're putting pressure in there. So that's just more effective than simply just putting the pressure in or simply having the patient just use the muscle because you're you're much more radically breaking up the kind of um, pathologic cross-linking of, of um, tendonomuscular fibers that develops after an injury where in addition to the normal parallel organization of fibers, you've got all these elastin and collagen and other fibers that have, it's mostly collagen, that are crossing the muscle and by using the muscle while grinding through those fibers it's very uncomfortable but it breaks them up because it you know pulls on them in both longitudinally and horizontally are you familiar with this stuff called voodoo floss uh no that's not that's not a familiar term to me oh okay it, it's something that a friend of mine turned me on to He's a, he's a body worker, a Pilates guy. He, he actually lives in Taiwan. He does some interesting body work stuff. It's this, uh, it's called Voodoo Floss, which is a great name. And it's basically like taking the tire of an inner tube and like slicing it open. So you've got a big band mm-hmm. of this elastic material and you put it on the joint. You, I mean, this wouldn't be good for lower back, but you put it on a joint or mostly joints uh, or a muscle area, but mostly joints. And you wrap that stuff on there really tight. It's like a tourniquet. Mm-hmm. And then you have the person take their joint through their usual range of movement. And because it's got all this compression from the outside, it seems to really force the muscle to break adhesions up. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, when I hear you talk about this cupping, the way that you're doing it, I'm thinking, uh, this sounds a little bit like that voodoo floss stuff. Well, I could see that having a similar effect, and now, now, now you got me curious, and now I want to try it. <laughs> yeah, well, you can just go Google it. Voodoo, Voodoo floss. floss. Okay, yeah. thank yeah. you. I'll check it out. Yeah, check it out. I'd like to. Uh, I'd like to get your opinion on that. Now, what what it what it made me also is what what is the topic for the class that I'm going to teach at the conference is using needles 
into joints to stabilize them, to tighten up the ligaments that have become lax or stretched out after a sprain or surgery for that matter that didn't heal properly. And with that joint more stable, the muscles that cross it will heal better, will function better because they're not, they're getting to contract with more force and then relax more completely than happens with muscles that cross a joint that is loose and unstable where you're getting pain inhibition preventing a full contraction and yet the muscle also never gets to relax completely because it's always got to stay somewhat turned on to compensate for the the instability of the joint so what the what's I think it has in common with the voodoo floss that you're talking about is the, and Chinese medicine tells us too, right? The joints, the nine pearls, uh, you know, our hussy points, you know, the joints are all these confluence of really important structures. There's, they're what allow our body to move uh, through space and treating the joints is very important for the functioning of the muscles across it and, and for the stability and the mobility of the body. So when you are, working to stabilize the joints. I, I suspect you first, using your particular diagnostics, found the joints a bit loose. It sounds like you would go up or down that particular longitudinal train of mm -hmm. what's connected, but it sounds like you're also going deeply into the joints. Yes, that's right, yeah. And that's something that I, I, I learned from Alon Marcus, who I mentioned earlier. And what he really did for me was, well, again, a lot of our, our inspiration comes out of our own personal experiences. I was taking a class from him uh, and we got to the section on, you know, lumbosacral pain and he used me as a demonstration model, needled into my, after doing some uh, mobilization of it. And when I stood up on the table, I felt like a different person. I mean, everything foot, head to toe was lined up in a way that felt much more comfortable, took much less effort. My posture was better, everything. I was like, and it lasted for, you know, I don't remember exactly a week or so before it began to fade, but you know, that's pretty good for one or two needles to produce that profound effect that, and clearly with, you know, with some repetition, it, it had a more lasting effect. What came out of that for me was, uh, return to studying anatomy books. And that's what he really did for me as a teacher is kind of kick open the door and say, go, go study your anatomy again and learn to use your needle as a probe and a tool for treating anatomical structures. And so I just started spending a lot of time looking at skeleton models, looking at my netters on my lunch breaks and studying other, you know, resources of anatomy to really understand all the things you can do with a needle if you know your anatomy. Can you give us an example? Well, yeah. So no one ever taught me how to needle the radiocapitellar joint in the elbow. That's the joint that, you know, that joins the radius to the humerus. It's this kind of curious uh, circular joint that allows the, the uh, for pronation and supination in the elbow. But having been taught by Alon this technique of testing the joint's integrity through passive, you know, joint, uh, joint plate testing, and then if you find a plane in which it is loose and the ligaments, it's got too much motion and the, the end feel is kind of soft and mushy rather than firm, 
uh, needling into those ligaments to tighten it back up. So I had a patient who she had kind of a, she's actually a student of mine, had a freak injury where she was reaching into her washing machine and there was, or to her dryer and there was a short that suddenly wrenched her elbow. And, you know, she came into my clinic the next day and her arm was going numb from the elbow on down. I was like, Ooh, this is not good. This, this could be a serious, you know, limb threatening injury where, you know, nerve and blood supply are, are getting damaged. Referred her to an orthopedist who basically said, here's a sling, come back in a month if it's not better. That was a disappointing referral. It didn't come the way out the way I wanted because I was afraid she would need surgery. But so I'm like, okay, well, let's do what we can here. And on my stress testing, I found her radiocapitellar joint was really loose and had gotten wrenched out of place. And so she was getting this kind of transient compression of the nerves and blood vessels. So I'm like, we need to stabilize this joint right away. If the orthopedist not going to do it, I'm going to do my best here. I pull out my anatomy book and just look at the joint really carefully. Now, this is not a commonly sprained joint. It's probably one of the most stable joints in the body, but so I'd never done it before, but I'm like, let's look at the anatomy, see where those ligaments should be, and then, and then find the joint. And then, you know, without going into too much detail about the technique, which is hard to describe in audio, basically going through lung five, large intestine 11, having to reposition the arm a couple of times to account for the pronation supination, I was able to needle into those ligaments really deeply and it ached and, and was uncomfortable for her, but we could test it immediately afterwards. And it's like, Oh, it's restabilized. Okay. Good prognosis. Those ligaments are not snapped through. They're just stretched out and there's an immediate feedback response. You can test it, take the needle out, instantly test it again. And you know, did you get it or not? Did it restabilize or not? Yep, restabilized. She comes in a couple of days later, the numbness is almost gone. Wow. So uh, there's a couple of things that come to mind for me here. Uh, the first is so often people come in, they complain of something being tight, right? It's painful, it's tight. So often we're looking to deal with things that are tight, but you know, Chinese medicine, we could have excess, we could have deficiency, right? So looseness can bring its own troubles along with it that i mean for me that's that that's a real take home that that makes a lot of sense and then to correct that and it sounds like you can correct it pretty quickly by needling mm -hmm. into the ligament now you've got to know your anatomy are you going with with you know you got an image in your mind yeah this is this is how it looks are you palpating like with one hand to see what you're feeling are you feeling through the needle how do you know that you're getting that ligament Sure. That's an excellent question. All of the above. Uh, basically, I've, I've simultaneously got my anatomy book there. I'm checking that. I'm feeling with feeling for the joint line with my fingers. And that's a, that's a skill. But with a little practice, just like feeling a pulse, you'll get very sensitive at feeling joint lines and feeling the integrity of the ligaments that span them. I'm doing my passive joint infield testing. That's really the key. And then I'm also feeling with the tip of the needle. And with, again, with just like pulse taking or with any other needle technique, with practice and repetition, you'll, you'll get to feel the difference at the end of the needle between a healthy ligament, which is like needling into a taut, thick, firm rubber band, and needling into a degenerated or stretched out ligament, which feels like you're needling into old glue or chewing gum, kind of sticky, but it's also kind of soft and mushy, and it doesn't have the firmness and the elasticity. It's kind of gummy. So all of the above, but I want to go back to you, you got it. That is the essential insight that is, I think, missing, uh, often missing from 
both in the world of physical therapy because they don't really have any joint stabilization techniques and from acupuncture orthopedics is this is what Chinese medicine tells us yin yang the muscles are yang the ligaments and joint capsules are yin if you only treat one aspect of that you have an incomplete treatment if you treat both and you recognize the deficiency in the ligaments the structure the deficiency in this and the stability creates a compensatory excess and hypertonicity in the muscles across that joint that have to constantly work to keep that joint stable and so you can treat the excess all the time to, and, and not really you know get partial results and but a lot of times it'll just kind of keep coming back and all of my treatments started being much more effective whether it's rotator cuff tendonitis or achilles tendonitis or quad strain or something when i started looking at the joint that, that it, those muscles or tendons cross and going oh huh this joint is unstable we treat the joint then all of my muscular treatments work much better and have lasting results. Yeah, that, you know, as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking, well, that makes sense because you can work all day, you know, and you can work many days in a row if you want on what, let's just call it the, the branch aspect. Mm -hmm. but, but if you're not getting down to the root, it's, it, it, it's hard to correct the branch. Yeah. And then to keep the, my, my own discussion of this balanced, I want to say that the muscles that cross the joint are also very important. And so I'm not saying, oh, all you got to do is treat the joint because the, the muscles provide dynamic stability. And sometimes it's very common, for example, in the shoulder joint, the ligaments in the anterior shoulder can get stretched out and loose, not because of a traumatic shoulder dislocation, but simply because of poor uh, postural and biomechanical faults. And then the rotator cuff starts to degrade. Well, the rotator cuff tendons blend into the front of the capsule. And that's what cadaver labs really teach me is that all of these distinctions are linguistic and somewhat artificial because as Chinese medicine tells us, everything is interconnected and interpenetrating and contiguous. So if I'm going to treat a shoulder rotator cuff problem, I need to treat the, the joint if it's stretched out, but I also need to treat those rotator cuff muscles and tendons so that they provide the dynamic stability and their contiguous relationship with the, with the joint uh, is treated. Love it. It's it's got me thinking about all kinds of ways of going back to my clinic and, and taking another <laughs> look. Yes, at, uh... <laughs> that's the fun of it. You know, for me, it's sort of like um, you know, if, and again, to use the backpacking analogy a little bit. Uh, okay, I'm, I've hiked this trail using this map many times. Now I'm going to go off trail. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to set, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to go cross country and I'm just going to feel what my feet find and look around with my eyes see and, and use the map in a whole different way. Instead of just telling me where the trail is, I'm going to palpate, I'm going to test joints, I'm going to, you know, look around and pull out my anatomy book all over again. And that just keeps everything fresh and exciting and alive. And, and uh, to me, it's just a much more exciting way to practice than simply going through protocols over and over again, which is kind of like walking the same trail back and forth. If I had to do protocols day in and day out, I'd be looking for a different job. Me too. Yeah. It, it would have gotten boring, you know, within the first year or two out of school you know, right. and, and, and unsatisfying because the results are only partial and incomplete a lot of the time if you just sort of stick to a protocol and and don't feel and look and see what's going on and listen yeah yeah you can also hear joint problems mm. hear them see them i mean I, I, I like what you were saying earlier that you just look at how people move 
mm-hmm. and, and let that also yeah. speak to you. I guess that takes some yeah. practice to really learn that, doesn't it? Yeah, it does take practice and pulse and tongue. Everything takes practice and everything takes repetition. And, uh, and, you know, this approach isn't for everyone. And some people are just, you know, learn through different, you know, as you said, some people are, you know, visual or auditory learners and they'll listen to the patient's voice and how they talk and then treat their emotions. And that's, that's also important for orthopedics and biomechanics because a lot of this stuff does have emotional dimensions to it. Patient has poor posture because they're depressed and they slump and slouch or they're, tight because they're angry and, you know, et cetera. But, um, you know, we're all blind men feeling different parts of the elephant trying to put it all together. And yeah, well, I, I appreciate you taking some time to share your portion of the elephant with us here today. (laughs) You're very, you're very, very Um, welcome. My pleasure. Well, I think we need to get back to the conference here. Anthony, are there any final thoughts that you'd like to leave the listeners with? Um, yeah, you know, just don't be scared of a needle. Have courage that you can apply needles very safely. Yes, you need to know where major neurovascular bundles are. In sports medicine, we're rarely treating over the abdomen, you know, but we need to know where our internal organs are. But we can needle much deeper, much more strongly, and use much thicker needles very safely and do a lot of good and help patients if we know our anatomy. And knowing our anatomy, spending time in cadaver labs with, I I prefer 3D and palpable, you know, take a class from a body worker who teaches surface anatomy. There's some great instructors in the body work field about really identifying your muscles and your joints and your ligaments, you know, and then there's online resources and books too and stuff. But the more you know your anatomy, not just on the surface, but all the way through, you can practice with greater safety and greater results. And, and I find it much more fun and exciting and alive and satisfying. So that sounds like good advice. It's always good to know more about the stuff that we need to know about. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.